Welcome to episode nine of The Life of Brian Mannix. That is the podcast. My name's Kevin Hillier, and of course, the Brian in The Life of Brian is this bloke, Brian Mannix. Hello. Oh, hello, Kevin. Hello. G'day. And g'day to you listening. Oh, Kevin. And very me listening. Oh, very yes. formal today. Very good. Very and how, good. Uh, how, does, how does the world find you, uh, Brian? Are you, are you well? Oh. Are you fit? Are you healthy? Well, look, um, I, most weeks I just say I've been walking, which is pretty much the truth. Mm. But I've been drinking a lot, uh, Kev. Um, <laughs> you know, I think most people have been drinking a lot. And um, you seem to just sort of creep, start drinking a bit earlier in the day, every day of uh, this COVID thing. And uh, quite frankly, it's um, not working out too well for me because today I've got to go and film something for the ABC. And for the first time in a long time, I had to have a shave and I had to oh. put some proper pants on. Oh, and I tell you what, the pants feel a little bit tighter than what they did before yes. COVID started. Yes, so, apparently uh, I did see a post somewhere the other day where someone was saying, make sure you take your clothes out of the wardrobe because uh, one of the side effects of COVID is that all the clothes are shrinking. Yeah, well, <laughs> mine certainly are a little bit, so um, I'll have to uh, knock off the beer, I think. Isn't and, that uh, sad? I mean, I, I, was, I was talking to my brother yesterday and he said, how are you going? He's in Queensland. And right. I said, I've only worn proper pants once in seven months. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tracky dacks every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and proper shoes. I haven't worn proper shoes or boots for seven months. And, um, yeah, it's all a bit, um, it's yes. a bit weird. And, yeah. and I'll tell you what else happens too. Yeah. On a day when you're so used to doing nothing that when you've got a day and you've got sort of two things that you might have to do, it becomes so overwhelming because you're just used to doing nothing. <laughs> All of a sudden you're the busiest man in Australia when you've really only got two things to do. Like seven months ago you were doing ten things in one day. Yeah, and now you do two things. It's like, oh, geez, I don't know how I'm going to get through all of this. <laughs> and you know the other thing that happens? At the end of the day when you finish those two things, you go, oh, I'm exhausted. Oh, I better have a drink. Exactly. <laughs> Which brings us back to where we started this conversation. Absolutely. All <laughs> uh, right. Now, today we've got, uh, we've got two fantastic guests. We've got the second part of our Dawn Fraser interview to, to play today. And uh, Dawn's just a, just a beauty, just a ripper. She is. She's a great Australian and a bit of a larrikin, and that's why we love her. And as I've often said, even if she'd never won a gold medal, she'd still be a legend. Yeah, absolutely. And her memories of Sydney, because as we uh, as we record this, it is the anniversary twenty years ago of the uh, the Sydney Olympics and all the things that happened, all the gold medals that we won, and the opening and closing ceremonies. Uh, and we'll talk to Dawn about her memories of of Sydney and what an amazing part she played in that. And our other guest also has some memories of Sydney because. He was in a band that was part of the closing ceremony. And yes, he he's was. Tell, he's going to tell us a story about the fact they almost didn't make it, but we'll get to that because uh, the great man Colin Hay is our is our featured guest on the program this week. How good is that? And um, great to have him on the show because he's such a Australian legend and, um, you know, a very interesting guy, really interesting guy. 
Absolutely. Uh, men at work is only, uh, is only a little bit of what, uh, what Colin's done. I mean, we'll talk to him about uh, running around the world playing in Ringo Starr's band. How much would you like to be a member of that band? Oh, yeah, I'd like that very much. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now, think smarter, stay out of trouble and get home safely. No, that's not what Brian's parents said to him 40 years ago. No. It's actually the kind of mantra that uh, that Murcott's driving excellence have. Think smarter, stay out of trouble and get home safely. That's what they uh, they can help you do. Murcott's driving excellence. Uh, now, if, you, if you're if you going back to work in the next couple of months, hopefully, uh, you know, back to full working and you, you've got to be driving to and from work, going to be maybe driving as part of your work, uh, get on to Murcott's and uh, talk about uh, doing a little refresher course on your driving. one three hundred triple five five seven six. It's murcotts.edu.au. That is uh, the, the people that uh, have been great supporters of us uh, with this podcast, so please support them. Murcott's Driving Excellence. one three hundred triple five five seven six. 555 murcotts.edu.au. Think smarter, stay out of trouble, and get home safely. Was that even remotely close to what your parents said to you? Um. No, no, they didn't say anything like that to me. Um, in fact, they didn't speak to me for ten years. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny you're saying about the um, the Sydney Olympic thing. Yeah. Um, because I was looking at the photo of Cathy uh, Freeman with the torch the other yep. day, and um, gee whiz, I, I didn't realise it at the time, but it looks like she's lighting the flame with a massive joint. Yes, I did I notice th- you posted that. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> realise it at the time, and I looked. I thought that just looks like a Great big joint. Yes. And I thought, good on you, Australia. That's the way to go. Yeah, well, <laughs> Sydney is a funny joint. I don't know if it's a great big joint, but it's certainly a funny joint. Well, uh, very good. Most unusual. All right, let's get to our, our guest. And uh, he is a, is an icon of the Australian music industry, a trailblazer in uh, in many ways. So let's get him on the line now. It's, uh, of course, Colin Hay. Hello there. Hello, Colin Hay. It's Kevin Hillier and Brian Mannix calling from Australia. How are you, lads? Are you are you well? Yes. You're, obviously, you don't have your masks on. No, not not at the moment. But as soon as we go outside, we have to put one on. What's it like in LA? Do you, you have to wear masks over there, or it's a bit more casual? Here, it's just insane. You have a lot of people who wear masks, and yeah, then you have a lot of people who think that somehow their personal rights as, a, as an individual have been taken away from them, and you have that kind of level of idiocy uh, throughout the nation. So it's very it's very difficult, you know, to to uh, to deal with, you know. It's the worst in the world over here. So, but they don't really care, you know. They don't care that a lot of people are dying. That's the reality. Is that that's the real sad thing. But anyway, um, well, good evening for me and good morning to you. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where, where, are you in Are you in Sydney? Are you Melbourne, the beautiful city of Melbourne? Well, yeah. where it kind of all started for you musically, I suppose, in terms of actually doing it, was was it the Bo Morris Folk Club where it all sort of began for you? Well, to be perfectly honest, it was on the Fairstar on the ship on the way over from Scotland to Australia. They had this kind of talent competition. I can't remember. I think I went in it. I think I went in the competition, but there was a guy on the there was a guy on the ship, and he had a he had an amplifier and a guitar, and uh, so that was that was incredible. That was pretty exciting. The Bob Morris Folk Club was the, was the place. It was it was a walk away, and I could go there and play some uh, Beatles songs and uh, some folk songs. And it was a pretty pretty good little club because they had all kinds of pretty established folk artists, like real real folk artists that would come down and play there, who would play kind of 
finger style guitar and stuff. So that was that was quite exciting as well. Um, you know, people playing Martin guitars and things. And, you know, you very rarely saw Martin guitars in Australia at that time. You were 14 years old when you moved to Australia. Was moving to Australia something you wanted to do or was it just something you had to do? Uh, well, both of those things. Um, because we, we, I came here because my parents wanted to come here, particularly my father, uh, because he wanted a better life for the family and it was rained all the time in Scotland. And, uh, you know, they, they had that very um, uh, dodgy immigration policy at the time where, you know, they asked white people that they could come. <laughs> and that was about that was about it. Uh, and um, we were uh, Scottish people, so we were, you know, more than white. We were like, almost blue. <laughs> it was so, so cold there. You have to answer your question. I wanted to be where my parents were. I, I didn't particularly want to leave, leave where I lived. Because um, I had kissed uh, Janet Roos, you know, and that was very exciting. That was very exciting, you know, when you're 14 years old and you've and you've kissed a girl uh, that you really liked, and she was a beautiful girl, and I had to go away to the other side of the world. But you know what it's like; you move on. But um, that was that was a little that was a little um, emotional. Um, but you're going to the other side of the world, and so. What's not what's not to get excited about that? You know, you're on a ship with all these other people who don't know where they're going or, or, or what what they're going to be at the other end, and then you arrive in Melbourne at Port Melbourne, and um, it, it was incredible. I mean, I still remember it so vividly, driving along the St Kilda foreshore there towards the, down the bay where we were going to go and stay with friends. And um, you know, when you're 14 years old and you go to the other side of the world, it um, it blows your mind you know, in the true sense of the word yeah. and everything, you know, it's become a cliche, but you, you know, you can say that your life goes from black and white into color, which is really what it seemed to me at the time, because you would, you would go down the coast and the, and the ocean and the waves were huge and the skies were huge. And all the guys that I knew, the kids that I knew at that particular time, they all kind of did whatever they wanted to do. And which really uh, surprised me because in Scotland, it's very, it's a great place, but it's it's very socially entrenched. And so, guys I knew who were 15, 16 years old, they had cars. You know, they had they had FJ holes and cars and stuff, and they would drive down the coast. And they didn't even have licenses half of them. You know, but it didn't matter. And they'd say, "What are you doing Friday night?" And I go, "Well, not much." And they go, well, "We're going to go to a party." And I go, "Okay." So they would pick you up, and you drive for forty-five minutes. So, I thought I'd been kidnapped because you don't go anywhere in Scotland. For, you don't drive anywhere for 45 minutes in Scotland unless you're going for your holidays, you know. So when I arrived, it was, um, when I got here, it was very exciting. You know, it, when I got here, when I got to Melbourne, it was, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, it's a brilliant thing for, for the for the parents to do, you know, because it gives you a double perspective on everything from that point on. I never, I never really got over Janet, truth be told. <laughs> um, uh, I'm sure you found a. Are you sure you found a? You know, a Bayside Janet, surely. Yeah, I know, but you know what it's like. You know, your 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 kind of first love. You always kind of romanticise that in a way. Was it hard? Were you were you picked on when you you came out? Because let's face it, you know, I mean, Australians are, are great at picking on people for all sorts of things, whether you got red hair or freckles or a, a funny accent. Yeah, I had all those things. I had red, I had red hair, freckles, and an accent. It happened a little bit, but but not not 
as much as mm. I did. I did notice it though, and I did. I did hate it. I I hated to see people get picked on, and people did get picked on. And most, uh, you know, a lot of the people that got picked on were either Greeks or Italians or or uh, English, and uh, yeah, these Australians who thought it was really funny, and and that's a particular trait I find particularly uh, unattractive. You know, to uh, to laugh at people who are different from you. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a very ugly, it's an ugly thing, you know. Yeah. What was your defence, Colm? Was it was it uh, was it humour? Did you use your humour to get to, to get your way out of those situations in the early days? No. The, the first day, a guy kicked me in the coccyx nerve. You know, right in the top of the of the top of your ass. You know, yeah. a guy kicked me from behind, and and I didn't think that was very sporting. I, I just kind of I was so scared didn't want to get into any confrontations. And my mother had said to me, listen, don't fight with anybody, you know. I kind of, I lost my temper and I, and I picked him up and I, and, I, and, I, and I was strangling him. I had him against the back wall and, and he was going a bit blue. And so um, the teacher sent me to the headmaster and, um, and I got, you know, I don't know what happened, but I got told off. And, and, but it, it, it meant that people left me alone after that. So you start off with a with a duo with Ron Strykert, and then you get the other yeah. members of the band in. What I was wondering was, like, having a flute player in a band is pretty unusual. Did you decide consciously, I want a flute player in this band, or was he just a friend? You thought, yeah, that might be good. But was it a conscious decision to get a flute in the band, or did it just happen? No, it was mainly Gregory, because I, I'd known Greg since I went to school, since, um, actually, uh, Kim Gingell. Uh, you know, who became famous for Colin Carpenter, yeah. Yeah. the character Colin Carpenter. Me and uh, Kim and I went to school together, and Kim introduced me to Greg uh, the last year of school, and we became friends. And so it was mainly because I wanted to work with Greg because we were we were good pals, and he was a really good he was a good performer. And he and I'd watched him in the, during the seventies uh, uh, playing saxophone. You know, just playing sax uh, all those years, practicing, practicing, practicing. And, you know, I just, there was a connection there with Greg. And the fact that he played the flute, I, I don't think that I even realized that he played the flute uh. until um, <laughs> quite quite a long time after, because I mainly thought of, him, thought of him as a saxophone player, you know? Because he was, whenever yeah. I'd go around to see him, he was practicing the sax. And so um, the flute was an added, an added bonus, but it wasn't the thing where I'm walking around going, oh, Jesus, if only I could get a flute player in the band, that'd make all the difference, you know? <laughs> but... Uh, but it, it turned out that it did make all the difference. <laughs> what's your What's your memories of uh, putting that kind of first album together, Colin? Well, uh, mainly the fact that we 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 played for a couple of years and we we were really kind of a cross between. We were kind of a hippie band, and we were very very unhip. I guess you would call us kind of. We were quite daggy in a way, you know. Yeah. We didn't really have a we didn't really have a a strong image. Um, but I always thought you know we had good songs. I, I thought that the songs I was coming up with, I thought they were getting better. And, and having a band was was really great because you had an, a, an immediate vehicle uh, in through which to play your songs. And so, you know, you, you would write a song on a Tuesday morning or something, and then after, in the afternoon you'd rehearse it, and then that night you could play it. So it was very immediate. And so that was exciting. And um, so we had this bunch of, Songs that were I think I thought were getting better uh, and better over the course of that those couple of years, 
And then uh, when Peter Carpen came down to see us, he was CBS Records at the time were really the only record company interested in us, which was fortunate because we were really only interested in a in a in a, in a multinational record label because we wanted we had we had you know big aspirations of being successful uh, globally even then wow. and. Um, uh, you know, we weren't really interested in having a deal with Mushroom or someone, you know, because we just thought they were, you know, they wouldn't be able to do anything for us, you know. And so so CBS came along and, and uh, Carson brought Peter McKee and the record producer down to see us. And, and he immediately got it. You know, he immediately kind of realized not only that we had good songs, but what he could do with them, you know, and how he could um, whip them into shape, so to speak, So which which was what he did. Which is great for me, you know, because I always thought that uh, our band kind of overcomplicated a, lo- a lot of the songs and, and needlessly. And I just thought that mo- for the most part, they were simple pop tunes, and which is, you know, what they became uh, on the record. And and, uh, and and it worked. And so there was somebody there uh, to actually, you know, provide that role. So, I, you know, I didn't have to start arguing with other people in the band, I could just go, oh, you know, the producer said this, or you know, he, said we, he said we need to simplify it. Well, not my idea, you know, it's his idea, you know, <laughs> so let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it turned out that he was, he was great. He, was, he, was, he knew what he was doing, and, and we didn't know what we were doing, you know. A couple of people thought in the band thought that they knew what, what they were doing, but they really didn't. Is it true that Mushroom Records knocked you back because they felt you didn't have, have the songs? No, no, it's not true at all. That's a big myth. You know, we were never interested in Mushroom Records. I mean, they might have come down to see us and they might have talked to Russell, our manager. But uh, I knew I knew some people that were signed to Mushroom Records at the time. One of the things they said to us was, listen, if I can give you one bit of advice, don't sign with Mushroom Records. And so we were kind of, we had that kind of warning as well. But I think that old Michael, he loves to sprout that story around, but it's rubbish. Because we both had to listen to it. We both love Now and the Evermore, the new song that uh, that you've just done. It's a, it's an absolute ripper. Oh, well, thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, you need to, you need to keep keep moving forward, don't you? And uh, uh, in, in quarantine, you need to kind of come up with a few tunes. And Yeah, the, the, the chorus of that tune had been hanging around for a few years, and so... Um, I finally found a home for it in the in the verse. It came together quite well, and uh, you know what it's like. You're not really sure what to do with songs these days. You know, you kind of think, well, I've got this yeah. record, and, and then you go, well, I'll release it, and you think, well, what the fuck does that mean? I don't even really know what it means anymore. <laughs> well, you just you just you just make it. You just give birth to it, and you make it you make it exist. You know, I mean, I'm signed to a small label out of Nashville called Compass Records, and they're lovely people. You know, independent label. But, you know, we put these records out and then what I've done for the last 25 years, really, is I just put records out and then go on the road. And I've built up this following here over the last quarter of a century or something. And and uh, the fans have been uh, great. You know, so that's really what I've done. It's kind of more a cottage industry more than anything else. But I really like this new one because um, I was listening to it. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, okay, it's got a lovely melody and all that. And then suddenly... It goes to this other part. I just didn't predict that happening at all, and it really surprised me. But I really love that bit that where the big backing vocal comes in. And um, so, congratulations on that. It's a really, really good song. Oh, thank you. And it's, um, I think that's you've you've had the you know the it's the acoustic version that people have had, isn't it? Because I've 
Yep. There's, there's actually a full production of it with big loud drums and stuff, but at the moment, all about there is the acoustic version. So, so that that's good. You can, you can. Um, it's good to be able to hear a song uh, when it's that simple. I think you know to to you know to not go ah oh, well you know it's, it's lacking if it, if it if it, if you like it in that in that kind of form. It's, it's usually it's usually going to get get better with with what you do to it as long as you don't. Fuck it up by putting too much shit on there, you know. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the simplicity. Which we've all done. All right, we have more with Colin Hay to come, uh, but we're going to play that song, Brian, which I, the, the song is called Now and the Evermore, and I really like it, and I know you do too. I do. I um, Just when I thought I'd heard everything in it, it goes and it brings in a new bit, and the harmonies are terrific. Um, I really, really like the, the vocals in this, and... Um, it's a great song and well done to Colin. Yep, enjoy it. Now and the evermore, Colin Hay here on Life of Brian. Woke up Sunday morning Salvation Army at my door Playing on with Christian soldiers Till I couldn't take it anymore I ran across the graves at night with those three witches at my tail I heard the wail of the now and the evermore All things are never equal And I don't know who is keeping score Nobody gets a sequel, no Everyone gets shown the door I'll be counting on the rising sun To give me all my waking days Until it sets up on the now and the evermore Goodbye to the life we knew Don't save it till the end It could be me, it could be you or some Italian concertina You know, she's really quite the star She told me everything's a circle dance And we had been here many times before And we're all a part of the now and the evermore Goodbye to the waterside And down Yeah. 
great song. It's available on Colin's website, colinhay.com. There's a whole album. So now in the Evermore, really good song. And part two of our uh, interview with Colin where he remembers uh, the Sydney Olympics and uh, playing with Ringo Starr. That's uh, coming up shortly. But now it's time for one of our favourite segments on this program. Actually, now that I think of it, it's the only segment on this program. <laughs> it's called... What, what are you trying to prove, Brian? <coughs> right. Well, this week, um, mm-hmm. Channel 10, they've, they've sacked nearly everybody. They've gone through the joint with, you know, like a, some Epsom salts. It's um, everybody's got the arse. And, um, and I was a little bit um, bit weird about this because, you know, on one hand, they've kept Craig Bennett and Angela Bishop on Studio 10, but right. both of them are entertainment reporters. Like, they sort of double up on each other. Anyway... They there's sacked a, a, Natasha Belly. Scary visual. <laughs> what? <laughs> Craig Bennett and Angela Bishop doubling up on each other. Anyway. Well, you know, who knows? <laughs> they might have to. Um, but they they hired Chris Barth from Channel Seven to read Sunday night's news, and then they sacked Natasha Belling, who reads news as well. Right. And I don't know about you, but I'd much rather look at no no offence to Chris Barth, but I would much rather look at Natasha Belling than Chris Barth. They also sacked my old mate, Kerry-Ann Kennelly, kept her, just threw her out on the street, but they've kept Denise Drysdale. Now, I would rather watch Kerry-Ann Kennelly than watch Denise Drysdale. I don't know what they're doing at Channel 10, but all I can say, Channel 10, is... What the hell are you trying to prove? Written, spoken and authorised by Brian Mannix, who uh, soon to become uh, a talent consultant with the 10 Network. Yes. Well, fair enough. Oh, well, you're allowed. I mean, it's your television and you want on your television what you want, so you're entitled to have uh, whatever you want. Oh, yeah, Natasha Belling's been there for 20 years. She's terrific. And, um, you know, they they shouldn't be hiring other newsreaders if they're going to sack their own newsreaders. It's it's funny how you can work. It's funny how that works out, isn't it? You sack, uh, you get rid of a newsreader saying, we haven't got a role for you, and then you employ another newsreader. It doesn't kind of make any sense. Stephen Quartermain was doing the, the. Five o'clock news, and then they hired Jennifer Kite. And Cordes has been doing the sport and been there forever and a day. I think Cordes yeah, actually lives at Channel Ten, I think. But anyway, well, fair enough. Now, fair speaking enough. of sport, let's get to our uh, second part of our interview with the the one and only and the delightful Dawn Fraser, uh, who is uh, an Australian icon and a good mate of yours. So you did uh, the Celebrity Apprentice uh, show with her and, and buddied up with her. So yep. uh, let's uh, get back to our. Our second part of our chat with Dawn, we've talked about the Pope and uh, and uh, obviously the flag uh, controversy in Tokyo, but now we move on to another part of Dawn's life you were interested in. Mm. And you became a politician for a while there. Yeah, I, um, I, I stood for as an independent in uh, the seat of Belmain and I beat the Labor Party member who and the Labor Party until the seat for nearly 100 years, um, and, you know, I, I had a very good time in, in the Parliament. I was learning a lot about the Constitution and about our country, and I wanted to learn that. And uh, the Speaker of the House was very, very good to me. He uh, taught me everything, and uh, I really enjoyed it. But unfortunately, um, you know, the Labor Party did some dirty tricks when we were um, going into the next election. They were saying that, you know, I had friends like Kerry Packer and John Singleton and Alan Jones and I had all all the top um, men in in business in the in Australia and I wasn't doing the right thing you know but they were my friends you know they were yeah. they were all very good to me when I was swimming and uh, you know uh, Kerry Packer allowed me to um, to use his um, 
indoor swimming pool at his office in the winter time because we didn't have any indoor swimming pools or heated pools in my day. Oh wow! It was very good of him to do that, and you know, I became very good friends with him. You know, so I didn't I didn't take any money from any of them. Of course, I was uh, an amateur, and amateur status didn't allow you to do that. You were too honest to be a politician in the the way the system works these days. I know, I know. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, uh, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a good system. Hey, can we talk about the two thousand Olympics in Sydney and what that meant to you? Oh yeah, that was that was absolutely fantastic. I can't believe it was twenty years ago, but yeah. um, you know, uh, Samurai, um he made me the first lady of the games ever, and uh, that was absolutely fantastic because I got to see all of the sports I wanted to see without having to say, pay for a ticket or anything like that. So it was absolutely a, a great thing to happen to you and um, I really thanked him very much for it. It was, um, and you know, the games are made by the volunteers of, of 2000 and, you know, because, because it was, they were just fantastic and, you know, it made such an impression to people overseas from what our country was all about and, you know, to see the friendship and the, the, the helpness of all those people that volunteered was just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, was, they reckon it was the best Olympics that there's ever been. I'm, I'm probably inclined to agree, but I'm probably biased. You know, probably the best Olympics I've been to, and I've been to quite a few, although I must say Atlanta was fantastic because mm. that was um, there were seven of us really um, recognised by the International Olympic Federation at the opening ceremony. But 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney was, you know, not only was the... Uh, the opening ceremony is fantastic. The closing ceremony was fantastic, and the competition was absolutely fantastic. And you have, you know, I have to say it again that the volunteers made that uh, 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney. Hey, Dawn, that that yeah. moment, that uh, that the, the moment in the opening ceremony when when Betty Cuthbert comes out with Raylene Boyle, and then they hand the torch to you, and then you hand it to Shirley Strickland, and then it goes to Shane Gould and Debbie Flintoff King, and then finally to Kathy. That being part of that must have been something really, really special. That was something very hard to keep secret. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> because it was the first time that the women were recognised in the Olympic Games. Um, there were nine nine women that carried the flag, the, the torch in around the arena, and it's never, ever been done before or after uh, an Olympic Games. And that's why they, they say that 2000 Olympic Games were, were the best games ever held because the opening ceremony was fantastic. We had all the, the Australian horsemen riding in over the turf. We, we had the team marching in. Then we had the closing ceremony. Where it was just all mixed up. All the countries were all mixed up, and it made everyone feel so welcome and fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, it was terrific. I, I really liked all the horses at that opening ceremony. I thought they did a great job with that. Uh, yeah. I thought, yeah, it was really, really, really good. So you're still swimming now, Dawn? Well, I'm just getting over a uh, broken arm that I had a fall in Melbourne over the tram lines and um, I broke my left elbow in two places and my right wrist in one place. So I was in in a, um, uh, in sickness for a little while. Oh, oh that's so good. The doctor, yeah, the doctor passed me and, and said I can get back into the water now and it probably will help me now, which will be good. Still punching okay. out 60 second 100 metres, Dawn? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, in swimming terms, the fact that your record, your 100-metre record, stood for 15 years is unbelievable in, in modern technology. Yeah, considering we had to touch the wall with our hands yep. and not our feet. So you, you couldn't do a tumble turn when you were racing? 
we, we didn't do very many table turns because of the, um, you know, had to touch the um, wall with your hand. Wow. Before you turn. Yeah. So you can, you can probably shave a couple of a second or two off this time if you can. Well, they, if you watch a swimmer today, a swimmer can turn, if he's a six foot full of swimmer, he can turn six foot out. Yep. He doesn't have to touch the wall with his hand. So he's wow. touches and then he's pushed off again. So he's saving. He's saving over 100 metres. Uh, he's saving something like about two and a half yards. Wow. And that's, that's why the times have come down so far, which is good. Yeah, not good for your record, though. But <laughs> oh, well, as I said, real, real, yeah, real records are made to be broken. I suppose so. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Hey, uh, hey so, Dawn, can uh, I ask you, what, what, what's harder, winning a gold medal in the pool or running a pub in Balmain? Uh, running a pub in Belmain. <laughs> Thought so. Thought so. How many years did you run the pub for? Five five years. Wow. You've had to crack yeah. everything, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, it's been good. Yeah. Oh, life is for living and you're doing a great job of it. So for today, it's trip on the party for Dawn's birthday. A couple of, what about some Star Bay Merlot? Would you be drinking that today? Uh, no. That's what we were drinking at uh, Star City. We were having we were Star Bay Merlot. Yes, oh, <laughs> it was very good. Tonight, tonight. Oh, lovely. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Hey, Dawn, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Have a, have a great birthday. We've, uh, we've, we've just been delighted to have a catch-up with you and, uh, and happy birthday and many, many, many more to come. And uh, on your 100th, the, uh, the coin will ring you, but for your 83rd, Brian Mannix phoned you. <laughs> yeah, I'll say that too. <laughs> Thanks, Don. Thanks, Thanks Brian. Yeah, when the, when, Happy birthday, Dawn. When the coin rings, you Thanks, just say, mate. can you get off the phone, Liz? Uh, Brian Mannix is about to call me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Great. Thanks, All Dawn. Right. Right. Have, thanks, boys. Have a wonderful birthday, Dawn. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Okay, Bye, cheers. 20 years ago, the Sydney Olympics, and Dawn Fraser was such a, a fabulous part of that, and I mean, you can't really think about Olympics in this country, Brian, without thinking about Dawn, can you? She's just, it's just a, a match made in heaven. Well, she's probably one of our most successful uh, Olympic athletes and, um, you know, she's, yeah, she's just a great Australian and, yeah. um, I, you know, I always think of Olympics and, and and I think of Australia when I think of Dawn. All right, let's get back to uh, the second part of our interview with uh, with Colin Hay. We're going to talk about the Sydney Olympics with Colin and uh, the part that Men at Work played in it. Uh, but, of course, as we mentioned earlier, he's got uh, one of the great gigs of the world, and that's, uh, of course, playing with one of the Beatles. Oh, boy, I'd love to do that gig. So what's it like to, to be in a band with Ringo Starr, to be running around the America playing with Ringo and, and all the people to, to make that ensemble up? Because you've, you've done that about, what, three or four different tours you've done with him, if not more? Well, it's, it's it's quite surreal, isn't it? Um, because you're you're on stage with Ringo. You think about that for a second, and I still do. And whenever I'm on stage, that I think to myself, I'm on stage with Ringo Starr. <laughs> he was in the Beatles. <laughs> it blows my mind uh, when I when I think about it, and when I'm doing it, it still does as well. It's it's the best. It's just fantastic, you know. And you, you finish a show, and then you're 20 minutes later, you're in a, a wee plane, you know, flying silently across, uh, across the, you know, over, the, over the, the curvature of the earth towards the next place or where you're staying. And uh, Ringo's sitting in the chair opposite you and looking at you and going, all right, then tell, yeah, tell us the story. <laughs> so, 
Brilliant! It's just a—it's a, an amazing thing to have happened. I'm so—I'm so glad that I got to do it. I'm so glad that you know, still, I'm still doing it. Well, the tours have been cancelled, of course, but um, uh, if we get up and do it again and, and do them again, uh, we're planning to go out next year. But it probably—it probably—it probably won't happen uh, because of the virus. But at, at some point, we'll probably get to do it again. Speaking of touring, like you started off touring in Canada after when that started getting airplay for Who Can It Be Now? And then you toured America. And I just often wondered, what's touring America like? Is it fun or is it just grueling or is it how, – how is it? Uh, you, mean, you mean back with men at work, you mean? Yeah. Well, uh, what, happened to, what happened to us uh, doesn't really happen to very many bands. Uh, I mean, what happened to us is really a phenomenon in the true sense of the word. You know, there were millions – we sold millions and millions of records and we – you know, we wanted that to happen, of course, but then it did happen. And so you're kind of in the middle of it. You're you're opening up. We were opening up for Fleetwood Mac, uh, and they were on a big, big tour. And Who Can It Be Now was, I think, number three. And then we did. We got invited to do Saturday Night Live, and Eddie Murphy was on the show. Well, he wasn't on that night, but he was. It was during that that period when when Eddie Murphy was on my Saturday Night Live, and I, I remember on the Friday the record was number three and, and then on Monday it went to number one and we were opening up the street with Mac and um, and you know we had gone from just playing in bars and pubs I mean we'd, we'd, we'd play to like maybe a thousand people in Australia before we before that happened just as a live band but not even having a record it went from it went to the it was we went to, it went to the big time quite quickly and, and we would go we, we, we would get invited backstage uh, with Fleetwood Mac, and of course they had beautiful palatial with all this food and stuff. It was unbelievable. We couldn't really believe it. Yeah, we were number one in the states, number one in the UK, and 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 all over the world, and South America, you know, Europe, and 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 uh, everywhere. Everything happened very quickly for us, and but it was it was about it was about as big as you can get for a short period of time. Do you know what I mean? Like for a couple of years, it was just. You know, there was nobody really to touch us for a couple of years, and then it just, you know, then it went away. Of course, you know. Was it was it fun, Colin, or was it was it something you look back on and uh, with with fond memories, or something you look back on with kind of like, oh yeah. Oh no, it was a, it was an exceptional part of my life. I mean, you know, you build up to something like that. I mean, I had wanted to be in a band since I was fourteen years old, and it took me about fifteen years to get there. But I was a very very ambitious uh, chap, you know, when I was young. I really only wanted to, to do one thing, and and I'm still getting to do it, which I'm very fortunate uh, for, but and and uh, grateful for. But I think I think back on it with with very fond memories. I think back on it with uh, mixed feelings because you know not to go into you know boring tedious details about why bands break up, which is really really you know at the best of times not particularly interesting. But um, you know the communication skill the communication skills between men when you're in your 20s, it's not great. You know, it gets a bit better when you get older, but, you know, as, as can be seen by the state of the world, you know, not really that much better. Yeah. Um, but we couldn't we couldn't communicate very well. And, and then a couple of the guys in the band wanted to sack our manager and he was my friend. And so I didn't, I wasn't going to have that. And so it's kind of like, you know, it, it, it turned into Spinal Tap quite quickly. And, um, and um, without the, without the gags, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. it should have been a much much greater experience um, than it was. 
But I still remember it as being something. I mean, I remember it as being something that which was amazing to me. Like I was amazed that this was happening, and I was really grateful that it was happening. Especially around the times when you know when we won a Grammy for Best New Artist, our dressing room was next to Miles Davis, which was next to Ella Fitzgerald, which was next to Jerry Lee Lewis, which was little, like, next to Little Richard. I mean, these were these were people who were in in this long line of dressing rooms, and and they spoke to us, you know, and they kind of liked us, and people liked our band, and uh, you know, I, I felt at home in a way when I came here. I see a bit of acting. I was just looking at all of you. Um... All of your acting credit. Sorry, Brian. Uh, sorry, Bri- I'm sorry, Brian. I'm just. I kind of. I, I lost. I lost you a little for a second there. Just asking um, about the acting career, Colin. How much uh, have, uh, did you fall into that, or is that something you wanted to do? And uh, you've obviously you've done a hell of a lot of it over the years. Oh, I think it's very kind of you to call it a career. <laughs> um, it's not really. A, it's not really a career. I mean, I've done a bit, but I haven't done very much. I would. I, I thought that I would have done more. I'm very available. Um, I have an agent who very rarely calls me. Most of the things I've gotten, I've just got through people who know me. Uh, when I was younger, as I said, my best friend was Kim, Kim Gingell, who still is. Uh, he's still, I'm very, still very close to Kim. And he went straight into acting after school, you know. So it was something that I was kind of strongly thought, well, maybe I'll have a crack at that. But music was just something which was... Um, you know, it's unavoidable. You know what it's like yourself. You know, you just, you follow the path that's in front of you. And, um, you know, being an actor is something which, I mean, there's people who do it so brilliantly. You know, you take, say, people at the pinnacle of the craft, like, I don't know, Daniel Day-Lewis or Meryl Streep. I mean, those, those are people who, I mean, they're actors, you know. I'm, I'm just, you know, scratching around, doing little bits here and there. I, I'd, like, I'd like to at some point... Uh, do more, but um, at the moment, who knows what's going to happen? Well, you both did. Uh, both you and Brian appeared in Blue Heelers. I'm surprised neither of you have gone on to a you know mega star Academy Award winning performances based on that. Well, you'd th- you'd think so, wouldn't you? Because Blue Heelers has been a you know that's a that's almost like a that's an apprenticeship, isn't it? When you're when you're becoming an actor, you have to be on Blue Heelers, otherwise you're, you're nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what your character was, Brian, in Blue Heelers? Yeah, I was a dodgy uh, uh, carpet installer that had robbed a bank. Yeah. What did you do? I'm, I I can't remember. I, I uh. really can't remember. Uh, and and that's why I was asking you if you remember because I I don't remember. I think I was I think I was behind bars uh, <laughs> at one at one point. Very good. Colin, it's 20 years since the closing ceremony, the Sydney Olympics. This this month's the uh, the anniversary. What's your, what's your memories of uh, of that uh, of that gig? Is that one that stands out to you or not? Absolutely. Uh, the Olympics. Come on, Kathy Freeman, the 400 meter. That was that Olympics. Yep. Yeah. You know, two billion people watching the show. I mean, that's the only time I'll probably get to, to close uh, the Olympics. With down under, you know, it's an, an amazing thing to be to get to do. You know, you rehearsed that for days. That whole thing, of, you know, you went to this old airfield and and rehearsed uh, for days and days before we did the song. And you know how Australians have got a strange uh, use of the word uh, "or." They put, they, they put "or" at the end of things. Where you know, you're at the airport, and you're with a bunch of musicians, and people will say to you, come up to you, and say, "Using the band or." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, you're, you're, 
you're flying to Sydney and you're not going, you're not going anywhere else. Someone will see you going to Sydney or, um, <laughs> there's all that, oh, oh, is at the end of the sentence. So anyway, um, we rehearsed that thing beautifully uh, for days. And then on the night, 160 people, 160,000 people in the stadium, a couple of billion people watching it throughout the world. You know, we got taken round to the, to the, to the last place where we had to stand before we ran before we had to go across the, the field and go up the back of the stage and, and go on stage and have the before they be after Kylie Minogue, you know, and, and we're standing there forever. And I just thought, you know, I think someone's forgotten us, you know, because no one was uh, coming together. And we were, when we rehearsed it at this particular point in, in Kylie's song, we were walking up the back of the stage, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is the one time when you're, when you're, playing in front of two billion people were going to be late, you know, and I'm thinking nobody's coming to get us, you know. And just as I thought that, the the woman who was standing there supposedly looking after us, she just looked at us and she had a walk, you know, she had the you know, walkie-talkie and she wasn't talking to anybody. She just looked at us and she goes, um, somebody coming to get you? <laughs> and, uh, and so we realized nobody was coming to get us and so we just had to sprint across the field and, and uh, just in time for them to say ladies and gentlemen please welcome men at work <laughs> so it could have been a, it could have been wow. a, it could have been a disaster but that's my memory of that's my memory of that of almost not making it onto the stage you know in front of in front of the world looking back on YouTube YouTube's a wonderful thing to fall in a hole with Colin when you're when you're researching someone um by Jesus, yes. you had you had a mighty mullet there at one stage. I had a mighty what? A mullet? Yes. Oh yeah. Well, I, you know, yeah, you, you, you do, don't you? You have to you have to have a mullet at some point in your life. I mean, I mean, do you want me to do you, do you want me to comment on the mullet or or I mean, I, it's not. You know, I mean, I look at some of the, I look back at some of the things I wore and some of the things that I look look and. It's like I can't do it. It's like what the fuck was I thinking? And I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't thinking clearly at all, clearly, you know, but but um I you can't really worry about that. It's gone and it's it's done and it's it's over, you know. It's, it's, everybody had a mullet in the eighties. Well, probably not everyone, but, but a fair amount. How are you doing there, Mr. Maddox? Are are you well? I I, I don't know you very well, but I've I've seen you from afar. Are you doing are you doing well? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm. I am well. Um, yeah, um, good man. Yeah, still playing around and doing gigs and you know, yeah. still making a living out of music and uh, still enjoying it. And uh, so life yeah. is good. Yeah, I'm at peace with myself. Good so man. That's good. Hey, Colin, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's been lovely having a chat, mate. And uh, and sincerely, both Brian and I love uh, now and the Evermore. Let's hope uh, we get to uh, hear it a lot more around the place and, uh, and and a lot more music coming from you in the future. Beautiful. All right. Take care and be well. And uh, nice talking to you. Cheers. Colin Hay, we thank him so much for his time. And, of course, don't forget, check out uh, the uh, the website, colinhay.com. And now and the Evermore, that uh, terrific song we played you earlier in the podcast, well worth uh, getting a hold of that one if you if you uh, enjoyed that. Now, Mr. Mannix. Yes. Remember we talked about uh, playing on this particular podcast demos and uh, bands with the or acts with the with uh, who aren't signed who haven't got a record contract. Uh, and uh, we we played uh, one of your early or your early demo, which was yes. a song called Bloody Dickheads. Right. Now, since discovered continuing the theme. <laughs> yes, exactly. A band called the Packets. 
now, now we got this off uh, the Facebook page, and uh, thanks to Cletus who sent us this from the packets. Uh, I think it was a, like an EP that they put out uh, called "Bad People." Uh, clearly, they are inspired by the Uncanny X Men. There's no doubt about their oh. inspiration here, right? <laughs> because the song is called uh, could be the new theme song of this program. It's called "Surrounded by Dickheads." You ready to hear this? Oh, this is rocking! Yeah, I think it's good. I think too. Once you um, once you put "dickheads" the word "dickheads" into a song, you need to have a bit of punk rock guitar, and I'm <laughs> pleased to see that they do that. And uh, yeah, this is a bit of fun. It's good. By Dickheads. That actually is the name of the song. So uh, thanks to Cletus for sending us that and the packets. And we have a couple of really nice uh, songs to play for you in the next edition. Are also uh, called something about dickheads, are they? No, are we, no. We're getting, we're getting off the dickhead train. <laughs> I think we should. I think we should park the dickhead theme over there and uh, and just leave it now. I think we've. Uh, I think we've done. Our level of dickheadery has been reached. Now we haven't had any sex tapes being sent in of late, How but. Do you know? um, I, I, <laughs> 
because <laughs> well, I haven't made any of late. Um, um, but I was just thinking too, if somebody wants to um, record themselves doing a bit of poo jogging, we could oh, perhaps give that a bit of it. No? Uh, no, maybe not. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just trying to liven things up a little bit. Uh, well, we'll introduce you to a couple of uh, very, very talented people in the in the next edition of uh, Life of Brian, uh, and uh, some a couple of really, really good songs, and one that has a little connection, albeit a very tenuous connection, to a, an appearance you made as a young boy. Um, I think you might have been twelve or thirteen singing a song that Elvis Presley made famous. So there's a tenuous little link to that coming up in our next podcast. Wow, that's. That's got me thinking. Yeah, it's oh, very, I know, that's very kind of like out there. But, uh, yeah, it's a tenuous link to a famous person and uh, you singing uh, an old Elvis Presley song and uh, now that person has since had a child and then we're going to play that child's song. On Wow. The child is now a grown-up bloke. But, yeah, so that's coming up. Also on the next podcast, uh, I want to tell you, John Paul Young. Oh, I thought you were going to say John, Paul, George and Ringo. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, not, not quite. Um, yeah, John Paul Young is going to join us on our next podcast, so we're looking forward to that. You and Squeak have had uh, many memorable occasions together, I would imagine. Yeah, he's a good man, uh, Squeak, and um, and I don't know, he's not, he's not only about my height, which is great, um, but, yeah, we've, we've toured together and done a few things together and um, he's a lot of fun. He's a really good guy. He's a good fellow. If we can get him off the boat and uh, stop him fishing for five minutes, we'll have a chat to him in the next podcast. And another very, uh, very good friend of yours is going to join us as well. Very talented lady who's done a lot of really interesting and incredible things in her life. Yvonne Bibber is going to be uh, on the next podcast as well. The star of Kenny and Shantuzzi's and oh, so many, so much more, Kev. So yeah, much more. Absolutely. Her time in England was uh, uh, Prime Ministers of the country. Yeah, she, she's, a, she's a real dark horse. She's a beauty. Absolutely. Uh, so that's uh, coming up on the next uh, edition of Life of Brian Mannix, that is. Don't forget to check out uh, Now and the Evermore, Colin Hay song at his website, colinhay.com. We thank him for his time. Once again, thanks to Dawn Fraser for being just a great Australian and joining us on the podcast. Good on you, love. And thanks yeah. to our good friends at Murcott's Driving Excellence, one three hundred triple five five seven six 555 Think smarter. Stay out of trouble and get home safely. That's what they'll help you to do. Uh, so give them a call. one three hundred triple five five seven six 576 Now I have one I do have one question I've been it's been bugging me all program. I've got to ask Really? Yeah. Now okay. you're re releasing a song called Six Hundred Questions, is that right? Is that re releasing or releasing oh. for the first time? No, I've never released it before. Oh, um, okay. I just saw the the video of when we played it. We played it with the X Men, but we never recorded it. And um, so I went and recorded it on a solo album, which has never been released on the Spotify and all that stuff. So that'll come out in the next day or so, and um, yeah, people can have a listen to that if they want. It's called we Six Hundred Questions. It's a good episode. little song. Uh, and also, all right, why good. did I see on social media a photo of you with Dora the Explorer and Boots? Well, I did a gig with Dora the Explorer and Boots, what? and actually, and Yvonne Bibber is in that photo too. Um, but if we were playing at a, a picnic for the CFMEU or something down at the showgrounds. Yeah. And so they'd have a band like us on for, you know, the mums and, uh, and the, the, you know, the mums. And then they'd have... Well, you're a mums band now, are you? Well, you know, yeah, sort of a little bit. Yeah, right. You know, a lot of our fans have had children. Yeah, yeah you've um, been called a mother but not a mum. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> and, um, and for the kids, they had Dora the Explorer and Boots. There, so um, you know, we were sharing the dressing room, and um, 
I just had you a shared sponge- a dressing room with Dora the Explorer. With Dora and Boots, and SpongeBob was wandering around too. And um, I got <laughs> a picture. It's, I've got a really good picture of me with SpongeBob, and I've got a beer in my hand, and here's SpongeBob. And uh, yeah, had a bit of fun with Dora and Boots, and they're great people. They really are. They're oh, terrific. We Disney. should get them on the show. There's a Disney film in the making, Brian and Dora and Boots and SpongeBob. Yeah, right. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs sex tapes when you got that? Oh. Uh, thank you, Brian Mannix. Thank you, Kevin Hillier. Always oh, a pleasure. We'll talk to you on the next Life of Brian Mannix, that is, podcast. Now I've got that visual in my head of you and Dora. I'll never get it out. Oh, Dora, she's a goer. 